It's really good to be back here with you at Christ the King. Thank you for the opportunity. I always enjoy it and uh, enjoy getting to know you a little bit better as a congregation. So why don't we bow before the Lord once again and let me ask His blessing upon our study of God's Word today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we read this story about something that you did when you were here, we want to take from this story not just a couple of practical lessons, but Lord, what we would desire most of all is that we take from here a picture of you that will transform our hearts, that will change the way we view you, and that will change the way we live from day to day. Lord Jesus, thank you that you healed that boy, and thank you that you can heal us too. Help us, Lord, today, we pray as we study, to be equipped to share our faith in you, both here at this church and throughout the community, wherever we go this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you know what tomorrow is? It's June 1st, right? Yep, June 1st. What, what is June 1st here on the Atlantic coast? Hurricane season. That's exactly right. It's the beginning of a new hurricane season. Do you still have your plywood? Well, I do. I've got my plywood ready to go in my garage. Do you have a generator? Some of us do. Well, fortunately, experts are predicting a tamer than usual hurricane season for 2015. That's good news. I hope they're right, don't you? Uh, The last major hurricane to hit Florida was, anybody remember? Hurricane Wilma. Remember Wilma in 2005? A little less than 10 years ago. But But it basically affected people south of here, I think. Were any of you affected by Hurricane Wilma that were here? I see a lot of shaking hands. Yeah, there's one. Okay. Several of you were. Well, uh, some of you might have lost power, right? You ever lost power? You ever had a power failure? Of course we have from time to time. And back in Hurricane Wilma, power failure was awful for those affected by that hurricane. Down in South Florida, about 6 million people were without power, some for as long as three weeks Do you have a generator? (laughs) Yeah, power failures are pretty bad. They're bad when they affect our neighborhood. They're very bad when they affect our own home. But when a power failure affects your life, that's even worse. We're going to read today about a power failure. The disciples of Jesus experienced a power failure. They were not able to cast this demon out of this boy. And the question you've got to be asking is why? Why were the disciples not able to cast the demon out of this boy? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be the one to cast out the demon? Well, we're going to answer the question a little bit later more fully, but in verse 29, the very last verse I read, you notice that there's some connection between power and what? Prayer. There's definitely a connection between uh, power and prayer. So I want to talk this morning with you about prayer. But you know what? In some ways, I really don't want to talk with you about prayer. And here's why. I have given many, many sermons about prayer. 
I've heard many, many sermons about prayer. I've read books about prayer. I've prayed a lot of prayers, and so have you. But if there's one thing I struggle with in my Christian life, you know what it is? Prayer. I know all the answers. (laughs) I've learned different techniques. About a year ago, I went to a prayer seminar. It was a lot of help for a little while. But I still have a hard time devoting a lot of my time to prayer. And I've talked to a lot of people who feel the exact same way. I wonder if this morning I'm talking to anybody who would say that in my Christian life, my biggest struggle or one of my biggest struggles is prayer. I suspect some of you feel that way. Some of you may have come out of a family or a church that laid a lot of guilt on you about prayer told you, if you're not praying this long and in this certain way, you're not really praying very well. If you're not praying an hour a day, you're not a good Christian. Maybe your background, maybe your church experience put a lot of guilt around the topic of prayer. Or maybe you don't feel worthy to pray. I wonder if any of you out there think that you have to pray the right words and you have to pray just so or else it's not a valid prayer. And I suspect I'm also speaking to some people who are discouraged about prayer because you've prayed and prayed and prayed about something and nothing seemed to happen. And so we are a people who struggle with the topic of prayer. So I thought I would do something a little different today. I hope you'll forgive me if I take a bit of a strange approach to this topic today, I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm going to give you three reasons not to pray. And maybe if one of these reasons is a valid reason for you, you will walk out of here and never feel that you have to pray again. Three reasons not to pray. Let's dive in. First reason not to pray. If you like things just the way they are, then don't pray. If you like things just the way they are, then don't pray. Think about with me the father in this story. He's very concerned about his son, isn't he? He's got a young son. Perhaps he's a teenager. Or perhaps he's around 9, 10, 11 years old. Something like that. Whatever. He is possessed by an evil spirit. He's got a demon living inside of him. And verse 17 says that this evil spirit has made this boy mute. That is, unable to speak. Verse 18 says that this evil spirit, this demon, has thrown this boy to the ground. So he exhibits the symptoms of what? Epilepsy, right? He's foaming at the mouth. He's gnashing his teeth. In verse 21, we find out that he has suffered from this condition for a long time. It says that he's been this way from childhood. That's why I tend to think we're talking about a teenager here, an adolescent. He's been this way for about maybe 10 years, 11, 12 or more. And verse 22, especially let this sink in. It says that this evil spirit hates this boy. He despises this boy because he tries to destroy him. He throws him into fire to try to burn him up. He throws him into water to try to drown him. And finally, in verse 25, we find out that the boy is not only mute, but he's deaf. 
And so all of these things have happened because of being possessed by this evil spirit. Imagine you're this father, would you? Imagine, put yourself in the shoes of this dad. This is a real human being, a real human story. How would you feel? What would this be like for you if you had a boy like this that has been suffering for most of his life? You'd be desperate. You'd be desperate. You ever been desperate for one of your children? I remember the day I got the phone call from the hospital telling me that my teenage daughter just had a terrible auto accident. We were living in Ocala at the time, and it sounded really bad. So I'm a father. I'm driving to the hospital to see what I didn't know. But it was a really bad situation. I was desperate. I was frantic. I was frenzied. I was beside myself. That's the way this father is. He's frantic. He's beside himself as he's standing there in this crowd of disciples and townspeople. But he had heard about Jesus. He had heard a story or two about Jesus. And so he thought, maybe there's a glimmer of hope. The doctors sure can't help. All of these other cures I've turned to sure didn't help. But maybe there's a little glimmer of help because I've, I've, I've heard of Jesus I heard that he's cast out demons and healed people before. So he takes his boy to see Jesus. Problem, Jesus isn't around. Jesus had taken a hike up the mountain with Peter, James, and John for the transfiguration. That's the story immediately before this one. And so he has to talk to Jesus' disciples, these other nine followers of Jesus that were down below. They had healed people of demons too. There were stories around that the disciples had gone out and casting out demons and healing people. And so perhaps they would know what to do, the father thought. You see, this father is not content with the way things are. He's not accepting the status quo. He's not giving up hope. That's why he goes to see Jesus. I once heard a good definition of prayer. Armed resistance against the status quo. That's a good definition, isn't it? Armed resistance against the status quo. Maybe if you start looking at prayer that way, it'll help you to be more of a prayer warrior. Think of some of the great people in the Bible. I think of people like Moses and Job and Jeremiah and Hannah and David. And I could go on. You know what all of those people had in common? They didn't like things the way they were. And so they became men and women of prayer. They wrestled with God in prayer. There's that famous story about Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. He was on his way back home. He knew he was going to meet his brother Esau. He knew that Esau would be mad at him. He had already sent his wives ahead of him. And so here was Jacob all by himself at night getting ready to meet his brother, an angry brother, a brother who was probably going to take vengeance on him. And so what did Jacob do? He prayed. He didn't accept, he didn't like the way things were. And so he wrestled with God in prayer. God said, let me go for it's daybreak. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. See, that's what I think is going on here in Mark chapter 9. 
It's a father wrestling with God, saying, I will not let you go unless you heal my son. The disciples couldn't do it. So Jesus, you've got to do something. But maybe you're different. Maybe you like things the way they are. Unlike this father, you're not too concerned about your kids. They're fine. They'll, they'll grow up okay. Um, Satan doesn't care about them, so why pray? And you're not concerned about the way the world is going right now? Ah, ISIS, terrorism, you know, it'll all pass. I'll just sort of adopt the motto of Alfred E. Newman. What? Me worry? If that's the way you are? then don't pray. Second reason why you don't have to pray is if you think you can handle things all by yourself, then don't pray. If you think you can handle things by yourself, then don't pray. Now, when I began, I asked the question, why couldn't the disciples cast the demon out of the boy? Have you been thinking about that? Why couldn't they? That is a good question. Because the disciples had cast other demons out of other people. Back in chapter 6, verse 13 of Mark, we find out that Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. And it says that they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So what's different in chapter 9? What's different about this demon or why couldn't they cast him out of the boy That's what the disciples wanted to know. They're incredulous. Look at verse 28. They say to Jesus, why could we not cast it out? So they're asking the same question we are. But I believe that verse is the clue to the problem. Why could we not cast it out, they said. You see, the disciples had begun to think that they had the power to heal people. They'd figured that they'd gotten pretty good at casting out demons. <laughs> they figured that they figured it out. They had it down. They had the right technique. They knew the words to say. But this time it didn't work. You see, they'd forgotten that when it came to driving out demons, the power came from Jesus. And the connection to the power of Jesus is prayer. And they had left that connection out. They had a power failure. You know, we are always criticizing the disciples, aren't we? (laughs) But are we not guilty of the exact same problem? We try to live our daily life independent of God without prayer. I can't tell you how many times I've suddenly woke up to the reality that I had not been praying about a whole host of different things. I had just been moving about using my own common sense and my own reasoning power and my own knowledge and so on like that to try to live life. And then I wonder why things aren't working out so well. You know, we parents sometimes say, why do my kids act the way they do? What am I doing wrong? And Jesus would say, Mom, Dad, even if you're doing everything right, you can't raise your kids without me. Have you been praying for your children? 
Or we say, why can't I seem to get victory over this sin in my life? And Jesus would come back and say, you can only do that with my help. Have you been praying and asking me to help you with that sin? Or we say, you know, I I just cannot seem to make a connection with my neighbors. Why can't I share my faith more boldly and consistently? And Jesus would come up to you and say, you know, you cannot do that, but with a lot of prayer. Uh, Or we say, why is my marriage not going well? Why, Why are my husband or why is my wife and I struggling so much? And Jesus would come up to you and say, you know, you can only stay happily married with my help, and, and you've got to be a husband and wife of prayer. Or we say, why can't I get along with this person that I work with? Have you prayed for that person lately? Or we say, why am I struggling financially all the time? Well, have you prayed about your finances lately? Have you asked God to help you be a better steward of your money? Or we say, why do my Daily devotions lack joy and meaning. Why, why do I have such a, such a hard time really connecting with God? And Jesus would say, this can only happen through prayer. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm overdoing the point to try to get across to you that we're just like the disciples. We fall back on our own resources and when things don't work out so well, we think, what did I do wrong? Well, that's not the problem. The problem is you were not connected to the power source. And if I may, could I tell you as Christ the King Church that you as a congregation could also fall into this same sin? For example, did you pray about this morning's worship service? Asking God to move to give us His Holy Spirit's presence in worship today? Do you regularly pray for your leaders? Have you been praying for the pulpit search committee that God would lead them to the right person? Have you been praying for the church's health, for its impact upon Vero Beach and other communities around here? Or or do you subconsciously, and I do the same thing, that's why I'm humbly telling you these things, do you subconsciously kind of think, you know, we've got elders... We've got deacons. They know what they're doing. We've got a fine building and a fine location. We've got money in the bank. See, that attitude is really a symptom of one of the worst sins in the book. The sin of independence from God. Self-reliance. Self-trust. Jesus said very clearly in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Unless a man abides in me and I in him, he will not bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We've got to have connection to the power source. I fall into this too, all the time. I say to myself, you know, I know how to preach. I'm a pretty caring guy. I don't need to pray about this... uh, counseling appointment that I'm going to now. I don't really need to pray for wisdom about this meeting that I'm about to have. I don't really need to pray about this sermon. I know how to preach. What is that? It's a spirit of self-trust. It's idolatry. It's self-worship. It is not faith in Jesus. And that leads to power failure all the time. Um, Not long ago, my wife, by the way, has uh, this thing about 
uh, cycling. She's a spinning instructor. You know what spinning is? Stationary bike. And we have a spinning bike, a cycle, a stationary bike in our home, in our garage. And it was broken. So I walked over to it and figured it out. It needed a certain kind of uh, bolt, and, and this nut was in the way, this huge nut. So I got a little bitty pair of pliers and tried to wrap those pliers around that really big nut. I couldn't, it didn't work. It didn't work. I had the wrong tool. And so I went to Lowe's, and I bought one of these guys, a really big vice grip wrench. That's what I needed, you see. The whole time, I needed this tool. The other tool wouldn't work. I couldn't fix the bike without this tool. Similarly, there are things in life that you cannot handle. In fact, most of life you cannot handle. Let's be honest. You need the special tool of prayer. And you just can't pull prayer out of the box in emergencies. You know, it's not like Aladdin's lamp that you, oh, I need help, God. I'm gonna, now I'm going to pray. And you rub the prayer uh, vice grip wrench a little bit. That's not the way it's supposed to work. We're always in need of grace, aren't we? We're always in need of power, even in the little things of life. And so we need to always pull out the proper tool. Prayer is the Let's put it this way. Prayer is the vice grip wrench that grabs onto the power of God. Think of that. Prayer, you've got to hold this wrench of prayer always because you're always in need of grabbing onto the power and the grace and the wisdom of God. You need it after we leave this building today. You need it the rest of the afternoon. You need it tonight. You need it every day this week. Let's learn how to walk in a spirit of prayer, grabbing onto the power of God. But let's be honest, maybe you're a person who thinks you've got it all under control. Maybe there's not a challenge you can't handle all by yourself. Dependence, that's a sign of weakness, not strength. You don't want to have to depend on anybody, not even God. So if that describes you, then don't pray. Third and finally, there's another reason that I believe our text would say you don't have to pray, and that is this. If you don't believe that God is willing and able to help you, then don't pray. Say it again. If you believe that God is not willing and not able to help you, then don't pray. Let's look again at verse 21. and Let me read this again. Listen to what happens in this story. In verse 21, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to your son? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, you see he's quoting the father there. If you can... Listen, man, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I have always loved this verse. I've always loved the honesty of that verse. It's so real, isn't it? It's so true to life. Lord, I believe, 
but help me with my unbelief. You know, he's just being honest about his doubts. How often I have felt this way. Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling to believe. Lord, I'm trusting you, but I'm also kind of doubting that you're going to come through for me. It's just the honest prayer of an honest person. Here's what I find interesting. This story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But only Mark records these words of the Father. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Only Mark reports that that's what he said. Wonder why. That made me think, wonder why only Mark would say that. And then I thought, well, I know a couple things about this Mark guy. His real name was John Mark. And you can read about John Mark in the book of Acts. He's also mentioned in a few of the New Testament letters. And the thing you start finding out about this guy, John Mark, is that he was a struggler. You know, in his faith journey, John Mark had some doubts. See, for a while, Mark was Paul's missionary partner. He accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But then they came to this town called Pamphylia. And in Pamphylia, Mark lost heart for missions. You know what Mark did? He quit. Did you know that? He quit. See, some of the people in the Bible are not perfect. (laughs) And Mark is one of them. He quit foreign missions. He turned in his badge and went home to Mama in Jerusalem. And Paul was kind of mad at Mark. For a long time, Paul didn't want to have anything to do with John Mark. Eventually, the good news is Mark recovered his faith, but for a while he was a doubter. And so I wonder if that's why John Mark, who is writing this gospel, could so easily identify with this father in Mark chapter 9. And that's why he heard those words and he caught those words, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think God wants, to learn, wants us to learn two things from that little part of the story. One, it's okay to doubt. Two, it's not okay to not believe. So let me show you what I mean. Doubt is okay. It's okay to doubt. Jesus is not offended by this man's honesty. He doesn't say, well, you obviously don't have a lot of faith. I'm not going to heal your son. No, Jesus grants the man's request. Because here, friends, is the key to understanding this. The amount of faith is not the critical thing. It's not the subject of faith that's important. It's the object of faith that's important. What's crucial is not how much faith you have, but who your faith is in. Right? Do you understand that difference? This man has faith. That's why he brings his son to Jesus to be healed. He wouldn't have brought his son to Jesus if he didn't have a little faith. He just didn't have a lot of faith. And that's okay. He had some doubts. He brought his son to Jesus and said, Jesus, heal my son, but I'm struggling to believe that you're going to heal my son. I want you to know this morning, God welcomes your doubts. Just take them to Jesus. He thinks doubts are okay. But unbelief is not okay. What's the difference? Well, did you notice the stinging rebuke that Jesus gives the disciples in verse 19? See, here's, the, uh, here's why I say unbelief is not okay. 
In verse 19, Jesus says to the disciples, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy to me. And Matthew and Luke in their accounts, they add these words, O faithless and perverse generation. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, You are faithless and you are perverse. Now that's pretty serious, isn't it? You know what perverts means? It means obstinately persisting in unbelief, stubborn self-will. See, we're not talking here about faith mixed with a little bit of doubt. No, what Jesus is condemning is persistent, stubborn unbelief. The unbelief that refuses to give Jesus an opportunity to meet the need. Do you know how you will know if you don't have faith when you've already entered into unbelief? You don't take your need to Jesus. You don't take your need to Jesus. That's a symptom of unbelief. And Jesus says that's faithless and that's perverse. But perhaps that's how you'd like to live. So don't pray. So, do you feel better? (laughs) Three reasons not to pray. Number one, don't pray if you're content with the status quo. Number two, don't pray if you can handle things on your own. And number three, don't pray if you don't believe even a little bit that God is willing and able to help you. But, if you don't like things the way they are, pray. If you know you need help, Pray. And if you believe, listen, if you believe, as I do, that there is a God in heaven who loves you, who cares for you, a God who has power to help you carry that burden of yours, however big or small it may happen to be, if you believe that, even just a little bit, even if it's mixed with a little bit of doubt, pray. Because the Bible says that the God who so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, is the same God who hears every prayer, who understands every need, and who wisely gives us what He knows is best for us. It may not always match up with what we think we want, but it is exactly what He knows we need. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He, how will He not also along with Him, graciously give us all things? Friends, stay connected to the power source. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You you came to us when we were desperate. When we were not just possessed by a demon, but actually enemies of yours. When we were running a hundred miles an hour the other way, away from you, you sought us out as the hound of heaven. You came to us and rescued us from our sin and misery. Lord, thank you that you healed our real hurts, the hurt of sin, our enmity against you. Thank you that you've done the big thing. And so now, day by day, when we run into problems, when we have needs and struggles, when we're worried about our children or our country or the world or lost people down the street, Lord, help us. 
Help us to take the need to you, Jesus. Help us to refer everything back to you. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to live on our own. Forgive us for unbelief, for refusing to take the need to you. Forgive us, Father, when we're so content and complacent with the way things are that we don't pray. We fail to pray for our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our lost friends, our businesses, our president, our government leaders. Forgive us, Father, that we don't take the need to You, the power source. Help us, Lord Jesus, to repent of these sins and to live lives of faith, even if mixed with doubt. Lord, we pray what the man prayed. Lord, we believe. Help us with our unbelief. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.